and welcome to what is sadly the last episode of this season's Utopia podcast. I am, as ever, your host, Jim Chisholm, and today I'm joined by Examiner football writers Blake Welton and Rory Benson. Um, today we're going to be discussing everything about this season, a bit of an end-of-season review. Uh, before we do, we're going to point you in the direction of our sponsors, Beer52. Seriously, if you haven't gone on their website, you know, by now, your last chance, maybe... Get on the website, type in the offer code Huddersfield, and you'll get a £30 crate of beer for £5, which I think we all agree is an amazing bargain. Right, drink responsibly and everything like that. Right, let's get on to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a big question at you to start off with. Promotion or survival, what was the biggest achievement? Um, I, I think I, I might go for the David Wagner answer to say, you know, that um, they're very hard to be compared um, both of them but um, Premier League is like a bigger miracle than um, promotion and that um, to to get promotion was a, a miracle and absolutely fantastic and unexpected in the first place considering the budget, the size of the club the, the players, the resources um, and that and everyone thought it would just be one season in the sun um, but the fact of the matter is, is that they've actually survived, defied the odds once again. So I'm going to go along with what David Wagner himself has said and said. It's you know it's a bigger miracle than the promotion. How about you, Rory? Uh, I'm more on the fence about it. I I think they're different sort of things. We've spoken about it briefly before in previous podcasts. I think with getting promoted, it kind of it tests your stamina. It tests. You know the the amount that you put in over a forty six game uh, season. Premier League's different because it's it's less games. It's thirty eight games, but the standard goes up a lot a lot more. So you have more time to prepare, but you have to prepare better. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you can really compare them because, as I said, like in the actual season when you're playing games, it's hard to compare because it's different things that get tested. But then the same things get tested in sort of. You know the transfer market, your recruitment, uh, the way that you build up to games and things like that. And I think both both seasons they've proved that they they've done it sort of well both times. So I would say I wouldn't even say they're even because it, it's even hard to say that they're even. I just say they're two completely different um, sort of concepts and and incredible achievements in and of themselves. But to compare them to each other doesn't it doesn't really make any sense to me because it's it's they're so different. All right, what well, is another one for you? Which season did you enjoy the most? This one because there's less games <laughs> and better Wi-Fi, sure and better food. Where are you, Rory? I don't know. I I quite I don't know. Uh, there's nothing worse than having to go to to Bristol on a Thursday night and that kind of thing. It's not it's not ideal, but in a way, going to games twice a week is you know that's what you kind of get into this job for it's what you love doing so I don't know I love watching football both seasons have been incredible for different reasons um, and we've you know we've had learning curves in both seasons but yeah I don't know I've just enjoyed enjoyed every minute of the last two years and after several years where there was nothing to cheer about town to, to have these two seasons has been incredible I think as well going back to to it everyone whether you are a fan or a player or a pundit or a journalist loves a Wembley win so I think last season although it was a grueling intense experience of Tuesday Saturday Tuesday Saturday I think 
to finish off last season how it was with the Wembley win is is something special and and even speaking to you know ex players spoke to Ian Dunn this week he said you know it's something special winning at Wembley and and getting promotion at Wembley I think even though it's an extra three games a lot of fans prefer to go up that way there's something more magical about it um and that's so I think that's definitely stood out but also we've just been very privileged to see quite a bit of history this this season um just even the last games Arsene Wenger's last game um you know after 22 years um and then obviously um Man City we were there at their celebration party which we did spoil it slightly so that was another great thing and I keep saying Antonio Conte's last game for Chelsea, but it's not happened yet. So, you know, <laughs> but yeah. And then also just in the season itself, Manchester beat to Manchester United for the first time in, you know, 50 odd years or something. So there's been lots of memorable historic moments as well that we've been just very privileged to be part of. And what has been your favourite moment? Oh, that's a Rory Castle, this year's yeah, top ages then. Eh? <laughs> um, I don't know, it's hard to pick out I guess one moment I think there are a few contenders uh, Tomlinson's goal against Watford the home game last minute you know just the sheer jubilation and ecstasy on the town fans faces after that because that, that was the result that gave town fans a bit more hope to, from where it was before and I think everyone earmarked that game as one of the ones that they have to win um, apart and, from Blake who never ever <laughs> earmarked a must win game yeah. throughout the entire well, season <laughs> Well, we'll say it's a must-win now that they've stayed up, and it you know they won it in a dramatic, dramatic circumstances. Um, but like away from the pitch, I think the moment Alex Pritchard signed on that day, mm. that really felt like everyone got a bit of a boost because that was where they were struggling. Um, where else? Van der Parra's goal against West Bromwich Albion was you know both of them actually because the second one, despite not being technically anywhere near as good as the one in the home game. You know that that put them ahead against the bottom of the table when they were, I think, nine games without a win. Oh no, they beat Watford. The, the I mean, to be fair, that was a that was a cross the one in the home game that went wrong, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> it was Connor Cody versus Wigan. If anyone remembers that, similar. I've, I've still got and but the the away game at West Brom as well. It was it was Bournemouth actually. They beat the, the game before, but mm. it gave them back to back wins from a pretty dire situation. So I think the moments that stick out to me are kind of like those Phoenix moments where you think they're dead and buried and then they just they come up with something which I think reflects on the character of the team and, and what's been instilled into them by the by the, the backroom staff by you Blake yeah I, I think that encapsulates the whole season as well really just when you think Town are going to struggle or they're going to drop into that bottom three which they only did once this season um, they always come up with the goods in the most unexpected and, and sometimes dramatic fashion um, obviously before they had a great start to the season which I still think was crucial for them staying up giving them a platform and momentum then they went on that run where they looked like oh they're going to start struggling then just out of nowhere they beat Manchester United who were unbeaten until then and then they go on another horrendous run after picking up maybe points against West Brom and that first time round at home um, they go on another horrendous run and then all of a sudden out of nowhere Christmas comes 
and you're thinking, oh, Christmas, you know, that's going to be the make or break. Lots of games. They pull out a, a win against Watford away. No one saw that coming. So a lot of a lot of the season, the excitement and and the memorable moments have been the ones, the most unexpected ones. Um, again, beat everyone's saying, oh, we have to beat Everton, we have to beat Swansea, we have to beat Crystal Palace, and then they go and do something against Man City and Chelsea instead. So, um, that's the thing that's really stood out for me this season, and the memorable moments have been the ones that have been the most unexpected and in the most out of the blue circumstances. Similar question, best result. Oh, that's a tough one. I there are again a few that stand out. Chelsea, Man City being you know two pretty obvious ones. The Man U victory, uh, the the last minute Watford again, or Watford uh, away from home as well. The one that I think probably did the most for Town in terms of turning their season around would be in the League Cup against no, sorry, in the in the FA Cup against Birmingham City in the replay, four mm. uh, one away from home after extra time. That came on the back of, I think, nine straight losses in the league. And that was probably when the season got the darkest. You know, it it was not a, a great game at St Andrews. There's hardly any fans there, home or away. Mm. Um, you know, it, when you were watching it, you could tell that it was the middle of winter and, you know, no one really wanted to have a cup run at this point because both teams were in the middle of a relegation battle. But for Town to, to, to draw 1-1 in normal time and then in extra time to come back and score three goals especially after a run of not being able to really create anything I think that really gave them a bit of a boost and then after that they beat Bournemouth and they, they beat Watford as well and uh, West Brom sorry and I think it really kind of gave everyone a bit more confidence in the squad then to take that into the Premier League and that in, in turn gave the fans more confidence and gave them hope for you know what eventually they achieved which is Premier League survival yeah, I I agree. There's so many. If you look at the best complete away performance, it has to undoubtedly be um, Watford away um, for me because it wasn't just a case of backs against the wall, whereas maybe against Chelsea and Man City, it was kind of do or die defending bodies on the line. But that ele- those elements are, are certainly commendable as well. I think probably the most complete home performance was you know touched upon it the Bournemouth one um and that um because again it was they were able to they defended well they played well but they also scored goals and they were creative and lacked flu you know they they had fluidity all over the pitch so those two games are probably the best from a complete overall performance but I would have to probably agree with Rory on the context of it perhaps that Birmingham game was perhaps you know the the, the best result um David Wagner before that has always been asked about do FA Cup games and cup competitions and distract you and he said ask me at the end of the season and I would like to sit down and ask him now it's end of the season what he actually thinks of whether cups are distractions or whether it enhances because I think certainly he'll say it can really help build something we've seen it the last two seasons haven't we two decent cup runs and then promotion and Premier League survival so you know, let's hope they go a bit further in the cup next year. Got to say, that's an incredibly left field answer. Are you sure you shouldn't be like writing for Vice or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it was uh, it was Palace away first day of the season. Um, just keeping that momentum going, you know, because 
you go into that the season with a bit of trepidation, it's completely new environment, completely new standards. And I expected to, you know, probably get turned over. So to to win three nil, to see these new players that we bought gelling, you know, particularly like Samunier uh, scoring two, um, that was a really important result, and it's, it set us up to then go into the those results that we got early on in the season, which were really important towards the end of the season. And also just as a day out, like we set off at six a.m. I think on the Saturday, didn't get back to seven a.m. on the Sunday. Cause we ended up having to drive on, on B roads because we only had fog lights. But that's another story. Um, best goal. Ooh. I want to say just because of a certain persuasion for a northeast club, Aaron Moy against Newcastle. Um, first goal at the John Smith Stadium. Bit of history um, being made as well. And in the Premier uh, League. It's yeah, in the Premier the League. <laughs> yeah, first goal in the Premier League at the John Smith Stadium. Um, so I. I I just want to say that just for sheer devilment. How about you? I'm Laura? not going to say that one. Um, I didn't like that one that much, actually, for some reason. Um, I think in terms of skill, Van La Parra's goal was the best goal that we saw all season. But in terms of, again, context, uh, Ince's against Watford. I think just just for the atmosphere afterwards, or, or possibly De Plattre against Chelsea, because yeah. that was it was kind of one of those moments where you just sort of had to pinch yourself a little bit because mm. we knew how important that game was and. From from the minute they kicked off, I thought it was going to be right back to the wall. Let's defend like anything, and then for Moy to put in a pretty probably his the best ball he's played all season into De Poitre, who who actually gets fouled as well by Cavalera, but to stay on his feet and then dink it over the top of Rudiger as well. I think that that one was just one of those moments that that I think will live quite long in the memory and and one that you know I'll think back to in twenty years time. I'd go for a similar one, which would be De Poitre against Man United. Yeah. Because it just gave us that cushion and he took it so coolly, exactly like he did against Chelsea. Just took it round area, placed it in the in the net. And and that was a surreal moment to be two mm-hmm. 0 up against Man United. Um moving on. We're moving on quickly, aren't we? Best performer, best player, best performer. I think we're all pretty yeah. much going to say yeah. the same person here, Christopher Schindler. Yeah. Um, I think honourable mentions Jonathan Ogg, um, Jonas Lursel as well really came through when when Town needed him. There, there was a few moments in the season where you know he didn't have his best game, Swansea away sort of springs to mind. But um, you know he came back and really pulled it out of the bag for Town. But that save against Chelsea was you know just sensational. Um, but yeah, Christopher Schindler, I don't think he's really scored less than a six or a seven in, in the player ratings all season and he's not only is he sort of been a standout performer but this year especially compared to last year I think he's really grown as a leader as well and you can see him really dragging the players forward with him out, out of the box and that kind of thing and I think that's helped by Zanka coming in this year as well another honourable mention because he's you know, after the start, everyone was a bit tentative whether he's going to be a good player or not. He really turned into a bit of a rock, next, especially next to Schindler at the back. Uh, and I think together they've grown really, really well. Um, and I'm, you know, hopefully over the summer nothing changes and Town go into the next season with them. Because to be honest, if you build on a on a base of Schindler, Zanka, Lursel, and Hogg and Moy in front of that, I think you've got the basis of a team which can go again and stay in the Premier League for for another season. 
you've pretty much mentioned every single Huddersfield Town player there. <laughs> not not left many for me to 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 sort of say. Scott Malone as well. Right? Yes, yeah, Scott Malone. Um, you know, um, no jo- joking aside. I think Flo Flo Hajinai was one that I think you did miss out. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to mention Flo as well. Um, but again, echoing what Rory said, there's, there's, there's between the club's official player of the season award and the votes, you know, that obviously the examiner carried, the fan player ratings that we do, our player ratings we do, match days, HSA awards, HSA awards as well. Everyone, it's a, you know an easy choice that Christopher Schindler is as well as as that, and I think as well. As you said, he's grown into a leader, but he's just—he's his own man. And what what strikes me, and what has struck me a few times, is he's his own man on the pitch, and he leads from the front um, on the pitch as well as off it. Um, a number of times when you know he's maybe been the last one out of the changing room or something, and you know the the press team or whoever are trying to shuffle him all along and get him on the bus because the bus wants to leave he's like no I'm going over and signing these for these kids who are shouting my name and that and he will do what in a nice way without being petulant he'll do what he wants um you know when when he wants um and that and he again he's always had time to stop and talk to you know to journalists and that when you know it's been a bad result or or whatever and he's been very open and honest and that's what I think everyone likes to see from from players, um, and that just kind of open, honest, hard working on the pitch, and the same off it. So handsome as well. It's not really. That's fair. so handsome. <laughs> I, every time I look it in, into it to start, to start, I forget what he says. I'm just he stops for journalists, but Blake just stares at him open. Yeah, <laughs> and that just yeah, going to you know, and these little love hearts come out. But yeah, pins and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think one other player we need to mention is Terence Congolo as well. Yeah. Um, please sign for us, Terence. I mean, um, yeah. I think he if he had joined in the summer beforehand and had a season on loan at town, I think he would have been up there as well as one yeah. of the players who who really did stand out. But as a unit, the the back four. With Flo and Congolo, uh, yeah, as wing backs, yeah. is, I think is pretty and, solid. And Zanka as well, as Roy said, he started a bit shakily, but he really came to his own after the f- first month or so. And and talking about signings as well, Pritchard. What I noticed, I think we did our player fan player ratings in the March international break, and Pritchard was already kind of in the top seven. By the end of the season, he was in the top three. So just imagine what he will do when he's had mm. a full season as well. I think he made a massive difference. I think he turned our season around, gave us a bit of bite, a bit of link up, um, definitely. I but think. I, it, sorry, it's all as well to highlight. He didn't have a preseason, which Dave yeah. Wagner stresses majorly. Mm. So hopefully, a full preseason, we'll see Alex Pritchard an even better sort of standard next year, and he can hopefully take Christopher Schindler all the way to to the prize next year. Best atmosphere. And uh, yeah, bonus points for best song. Oh yeah, I like the best song question. Best atmosphere. Um, just generally, the John Smith Stadium was absolutely f- phenomenal the whole of the season, um, and that and you know love them or hate them, uh, you know the clappers do work. I know you know it's a bit like marmite and it's a bit touchy touchy subject for some people and say you know it's it's a bit of a fo- false atmosphere, but. Um, they work well, and and so does the, the atmosphere generated from the south stand as well. So, um, yeah, can't really, um, you know, can't really fault the John Smith's atmosphere. I'm just going to go John Smith's atmosphere every single home game because win, lose or draw, the town fans have always been up for it. Best song, Terence Congolo. <laughs> really, go on. 
Uh, I think I've been spoiled by the Johnson Stadium, so that's I'm going for an away match as my best atmosphere, uh, which was Watford away, uh, because it was. I think you know we weren't particularly close to to the away fans when we were there, but the only people you could hear in at Vicarage Road was the away fans. Uh, when De Poitra went scored to was it three nil? Yeah. Um, that Lauren de Poitra's chant after that was ridiculously loud. It just it felt like it was reverberating off every surface and just coming straight straight onto you. So that would be it. The de Poitra song, one of my favourite, probably from the season, is in one that was made this season. But also smile a while at Chelsea when time went one 0 up. It was just one of those again. It was it was kind of like that dream moment where you're like, I'm not sure if this is real or not, and then you hear that sort of belting through. It was just that's what football's about for me. That sort of passion from the fans. Uh, especially after all the celebrations between the fran- fans and the players beforehand, um, so I'll say I'll say that smile a while at, at Stamford Bridge. I think as well the Watford, the Christmas, just the weekend before Christmas, about had a very festive feel, and I think the last mm. Christmas I gave <laughs> you my heart. This year I'll give it to someone special. I'll give it to David Wagner. I think that was particularly a, a nice little festive twist on things as well. So uh, that's got to be up there. I'm gonna go for. Tottenham at home when we lost 4-0 I thought the atmosphere was absolutely fantastic then to, to the um, and, and I think that was another another key thing in terms of keeping that momentum going from last season that could have been you know snap back to reality everyone's a bit down on it you know what football fans are like but mm. kept it going uh, I was going to say best away day you've already done so you've got Watford away what about you? Um, I want to say Watford away as well Um because of because of the result, because of it wasn't hard to get again journalistic head wasn't too hard to get to, um wasn't too cold the press facilities were all right the food was all right, so um and the the football was fine as well so I think the worst one Bolton. Bolton had to be the worst one. Bolt, that was bitterly cold, and it was sunny for some it was reason. Sun- it's just freezing. It's, it's like Bol- Bolton is just kind of the land that time forgot in terms of warmth. It's just always. <laughs> I've been to Bolton a few times. The people games. make up for it though with their warmth. So. Yes, yes, um, but yeah, I, I just for some reason Bolton is always a very cold, harsh, inhospitable place. Um, you know, whether it's sun, summer. It's not Siberia. It, it, it feels like it's it. <laughs> how many? How many slagged off Watford already this year? Well, slagged yeah. off Bolton. But um, I don't know. I do think yeah, Watford stands out. I quite like Watford. Pal, I, my my I mean, Palace is going to come come pull up for me, but Palace was my yeah. favourite away day. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic, real old fashioned stadium. Some might say dangerous. I know. <laughs> I yeah. Some might say they no. It's, I, again, I went to a couple of games. I went to Palace well, versus United, Man United. Yeah, so I, I like going down to Sellers Park for that. I think Arsenal. So I ha- we have to mention Arsenal as well because the the facilities at Arsenal were like un- unbelievable. It was like going from to a Sandwich Brigade reverberating around this office. I'd say the one that I didn't like the most was West Ham because I felt like a bit of a bird watcher like I just needed some binoculars there to actually see anything that was happening just miles away from the ground them bubbles were nice though weren't they yeah, it's, a ho- it's a horrible ground they weren't in the London Stadium I must admit so uh, running track around it and everything yeah. but yeah red wine at Arsenal so that red that, wine yeah, red wine at Arsenal well it was very cold it was November hummus yeah I think it was hummus wasn't what it what kind of hummus though I was uh, too busy working too <laughs> yeah of course yeah, so, serious Serious stuff. Before we move on to next season, is there anything else anyone would like to to mention about 
No. I don't think so, really. I don't think so, yeah. Right, well. Silence is golden. Feel free to talk about next season. Transfers, the impact of Wagner signing a new contract, where do we need to improve, yada, yada, yada. You're the journalists, you can, you can talk. So what are we doing? For, are we doing Wagner's tran- we do contract want. first? Do you want. Yeah, I'll pay for that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think Wagner's contract. You know, it it was done fairly soon after um, the, the 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 end of the season, which was good because you know the, there was all all these links throughout the second half of the season: Southampton, Borussia Dortmund, Leicester City. So. Uh, and we actually thought that it might maybe be a bit later, it might be June June the 1st or, or, or whatever, or, or he goes on holiday for a few weeks then comes back and signs. So the fact that it was done quite quickly, um, followed you know followed quite quickly um, after the signing of, of Rebe as you know the uh, the sporting director it just really sets you know the tone for the whole summer and and the, the you know has everyone not having to look over their shoulders and just get on with the nitty-gritty of the summer what what are your thoughts on Rebe I'll come to you Rory um I don't know I, don't, I think it's it... He obviously brings something to the table which Town don't feel like they have already, which is interesting because by January it was only David Wagner making all all the transfer decisions anyway, along with Dean Hoyle. Um, but there wasn't any sort of sporting director in place, and he brought in Alex Pritchard and Terence Conglo, who are arguably two of the best signings you know that were made last season. Although there is a plethora to choose from, so they obviously think that he's going to bring them something different. It might be that he has better contacts in Germany to pick up players from there. Um, and you know you don't know I guess it's just all about networking when you're in that position to know people in different places so you can pick up some of the best talent which maybe doesn't go unnoticed so it'll be interesting to see who they target next year because you know Terence Conglo despite personally I didn't really know of him before he came to town he playing for uh, Feyenoord and then Monaco he is a bigger big-ish name in European football Alex Pritchard's Sort of and a Dutch international and a well. Dutch international, yeah. Alex Pritchard has been a England youth team player and is pretty well known, I'd say, in in England to to people who've watched the Championship and now the Premier League. So it'll be interesting to see whether it, it is still names that maybe people have heard of before, or whether you know we we kind of see what we saw the season before, where there was a load of German players that no one really knew coming in, uh, and really shocking people with how talented they were coming straight in from those leagues. Um, but I guess we'll just find out this summer because it's hard to tell who they're who they're going to be sort of targeting. Because do you go for players who, so say Ramadan Sobi who's been linked, got relegated with Stoke last year? Do you go for loads of players like him, bring them in? But you know, then question remains: How do you keep the Terrier spirit, which I think has has really brought all of the the uh, success to town, other than the players that they've brought in? Where do we need to improve? Um, down down the down the width and the flanks definitely. I think um, you know Rajiv van the Para hasn't really had any competition in the last eighteen months. Really, down down that side, particularly left hand side. So I think definitely there. And that everyone keeps saying, "Oh, we haven't scored enough goals. We need more strikers." And it's well, it's not the strikers; it's the supply to them. Alex Pritchard came in and helped that but they just need to basically get more from the wide players and that I think you look at the spine of the team, the spine of the team's quite solid um and, and that so that I think that's not a problem. So maybe that and another central midfielder because Dean Whitehead 
has obviously retired so at times missed Hogg Williams as well if Williams got a full season they, I think it would be brilliant but we've had injuries to Hogg Moy Williams and Billings so I think maybe just another one as well um, to bring in there for competition um, so I think that's where they, they will look to strengthen and I think Rebe's introduction he's someone he's young He's very young for the position he's held um, in Germany um, and he's very young, enthusiastic, one for the future and also he's got something to prove because things went a little mm. bit sour at Wolfsburg and it fits the whole recruitment policy um, of, of Huddersfield Town where they go for these players who have something to prove and that you know, they're you know, young, hungry and it came with that appointment as sporting director as well. So I think we'll be seeing more of them because I don't think that'll then affect what Roy said about the Terrier spirit either because they'll they'll get into it very quickly. I'd like in terms of transfers and, and people who come in I think I, I agree the wingers you know we just need more depth in that position really. Uh I think Rodrigo Lapara it gets a fair amount of stick. I thought he actually had a pretty decent season last year. I thought he probably suits the Premier League a bit more than he suits the Championship to be to be honest. Um, but he needs more players to push him forward and, and keep him uh, sort of progressing. Um, I think it also depends... I mean, you, you sort of touched on the striker situation. I think Steve Mounier and Laurent Dupatra are two very good strikers who Town will keep, or try to keep, um, assuming they're, they're still there next season. I would like to see another striker brought in, but not because of the quality that's lacking. I'd like to just see a different option. Maybe someone, say say at Watford, like Troy Deeney fulfills one sort of criteria, but then Andre Gray fulfills a different one where maybe you're not getting any luck. Let's throw on someone a bit pacier so we can get in behind and cause trouble in different ways. And then when you go to two up top, which Wagner occasionally did last year when Town were chasing the game, you've got two different strikers who are going to, one of them's going to try and get in behind and one of them's going to try and win that flick on. Whereas with Mounier and De Poitre, I think you've got two strikers who are, pretty similar so maybe wouldn't gel as much together you trying to say we need to buy Peter Crouch well yes pretty much <laughs> Zigic still playing <laughs> no, there we are two top targets Zigic and Crouch I think as well just going back to it, uh, Kachunga um, he's he's an in, he could be an interesting um, you know player in all of this because if, if you've got another winger for the left and you've got another winger for the right Kuchunga would then be competing for that but he can also play up front and he could offer something different playing up up top and when he's played up front when he's in the championship he looks quite effective a lot of the time yeah. didn't he yeah, yeah. So but again a different option someone who buzzes mm. around and you know has the work ethic and makes things happen that way mm. yeah, yeah. Um, I'd also say sorry to cut yeah, across it um, it depends on the formation that town play next season about who they bring in because you know the last few games four two Three, one. You say that, but the last few games they started playing three or five yeah, at the back of every one. So, assuming, it, well, Conglo is the one that's been linked heavily. He's going to cost a fair amount of money if he comes, you know, permanently. Let's assume in a perfect world that he comes. Then you've got Schindler-Zanka and Conglo, who are likely going to start every game if we if Town play three or five at the. Can back. we keep all the Schindler? I've heard no peeps about Schindler, but if that's, I was another Premier League manager. And I'm looking at all those defences in the Premier League, and there are not many that couldn't be improved by putting Schindler in there. I've actually, when we've been talking, when we talk about transfers, I've actually put down two names who have obviously been linked with moves as well. Um, 
just obviously not legit 100% legitimate sources so you know tout um so we haven't run anything on them but there's been rumors of Schindler for Arsenal obviously Mertesacker retiring I mean they need an Italian defense they need a whole a whole defense but thankfully there's nothing been off any mainstream legitimate viable sources of media nothing on, on Christopher Schindler and, and long may that continue and then also some ru- rumours, just very little bits on De Potra going back to Belgium as well. So, right, okay. Um, again, they're they're just little, you know, little murmurs that hopefully will just stay little murmurs because I think both of them are, are crucial to keep hold of as well. So um, I think it it it's not just about who town bring in, but making sure they keep everyone in place. Yeah, I agree with that. And to be honest, I, I think De Potra will be. I think I don't really envisage him leaving. I think he scored too many important goals for town last year for for David Wagner to let him go. Um, Schindler, he's going to be the one that you know someone could come in with a really high bid, and it's going to be out of Dean Oil or David Wagner's hands. And I don't think any fans will will say will will hold him in any less respect if he does go to because if he does get a move, you know it's likely to be a pretty well established Premier League team because I think he's good enough to be to be up there. Um, but you know, I think hopefully, with what we've seen in the last two seasons and this the tight knit nature of the squad, hopefully no one really wants to leave, and only people will leave if if it's really going to progress their career. And I think town fans that they're, they're not stupid; they know, you know, they'll they'll thank the person for the service they've that they've provided the club, and they'll know that this is sort of a, uh, a stepping stone into the future for them. Uh, who might leave in terms of fringe players, squad players? Anything on that? Rory, you've done the keep or sell. Who do town fans well, want to see leave? Because uh, that's that's always a grenade, I, isn't it? I don't I don't have any of those actual uh, facts on me at the minute. Uh, if I had to have hazard a guess as to who might be allowed out on loan or who might be available, you know, you look at the players that really didn't play that much last season. I think Sabiri might go out on loan. You know, get him a bit more experience in maybe in the lower leagues in England to try and build him up into getting the strength that he needs to be a Premier League player um, Scott Malone didn't have the best season last year I think David Wagner still probably likes him as an option because he does give something different um, certainly does. but if someone came in with a bid for him I wouldn't be surprised like a championship club because he did have let's not forget he played very well for Fulham the season before he joined town um, not really sure who else played can he um, Fulham yeah um, I was just going to just Stick up for Scott Malone there. Um, Why? Who's, who's not sticking up for him? Um, I just I think Scott Malone has improved, and I think um, at back end of the season, and there's a couple of times I think he doesn't fit as a, a, an outright left back in if in a left wing back position he looks a lot better, and he had some great goal scoring chances, um, you know, against Man City, and, and that way he, he he could have scored, and that and I think he has improved. Should have scored. Should have scored. But um, he got in that position for a left back. He got in that position. So, um, so going back to loans, Heffley is a great shout. I think because he missed the whole of this season pretty much. I can see him maybe going somewhere like Brentford or something like that, and 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 basically getting his fitness half a season. Stankovic maybe as well. But if they if they send, but I can't see them sending both out and they're not mm-hmm. having. You know, you know yeah. the cover. Um, Joel Coleman as well. Joel Coleman would be another one to send out on loan. Um, because he needs more than just four games in the cup. Um, quick, quick mention on um, the new signing 
Ben Hammer. 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 Hammer improve on Coleman maybe they'll guess Rob Green Rob Green has gone yeah Rob Green's gone I think it's light for like Rob Green's gone Um, he's 30 um, Ben Hamus 30 and and he's good mates with I think Andrew Hughes and and a few backroom staff so he'll fit in nepotism is that what you're trying to say well they're not related town in nepotism they're not related (laughs) so that's fine (laughs) (laughs) unless that's some scandal or some story we don't know about we don't know I just touching on uh, on the Heffler and Stankovic option as well to sell send them on loan or to to sell or whatever. I think it's probably I think Stankovic would be one of the ones that you'd set, put on loan if a championship came club came in for Heffler. You know, as much as we want to see Michael Heffler at the club because of his personality and what he has in the dressing room, it might make sense to to let him go. Derby were quite interested last year. Weren't they? Yeah, I think Villa as well were were rumored to be interested, um, but then if you're going to play three at the back that mm. means that you then mm. have to go out and buy yeah. two or three centre-backs again so it'll be you know it kind of depends on the formation once again so where a town going to finish next season uh, cast iron prediction from you Rory I think they'll improve on this season I think their recruitment is solid enough and I think with David Wagenstein I also think David Wagenstein in contract this year gives people hope for further years down the line as well and I think if Town consistently build he'll consistently sign new contracts so I think 14th 14th that's a really good shout I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to say Rock I'm, bottom um, you, you got to I think Rory touched on it in a couple of podcasts a few weeks ago you got to look at who's coming up as yeah. well um, I think it's a particularly poor Premier League this season I think yeah. there was three teams that went down I don't think there'll be three teams as poor as that Next yeah, season. I think Southampton will learn from their mistakes this time. I think Watford, um, my favourite team ever, um, will struggle. I think Cardiff will battle to to the end, but they will struggle. Um, and who's the other one that's come up? Fulham. Fulham. I think Fulham have got enough and that that you know enough class about them to stay up as well. So you look at another dogfight there. I think. Um, I think Town sixteenth again, but I'm going to go and say that they're going to have a massive Carabao Cup run, semi finals, maybe even the final. It's what we all dream of, isn't it? A massive Carabao Cup. Run. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. I'm going to disagree with you on on predictions because I think I think Fulham will get worked out pretty much as soon as they come up because I think they play fluid football, which as Blackpool proved, works for six months and then you get hammered for six months. Um, Cardiff, I have a bit of a connection to Cardiff going to university there as well. I'd like to stay up, but I just don't think they have the quality really. They've got um, Neil Warnock, which I think is going to help them to defend, but. As we saw with Town last year, some games you can defend all you want, you're still going to lose 3 0. Um, and then just to throw some others in there Bournemouth, Brighton, Watford, Southampton, I all think, judging from last season and you know previous transfer windows as well, I think Town are probably in a better position than them to strengthen and, and hopefully improve. Obviously, second season in the Premier League is always more difficult, but you know, I'm, I'm confident that there are five or six teams in there that Town can finish. I'm, I'm, I might just throw I, I like I like that but I might just throw Leicester in there as well 
Yeah. Mares leaves, Vardy. Vardy will go if, if Mares goes there. No reserve goalkeeper. No reserve goalkeeper. Claude, uh, Claude Puel still there, is he? You know, I think so. Ben Heyman scored the winner against them last yeah. day of the season. Yeah, no. so, yeah. Um, and that'll be a kind of... And then the media will be having a field day of, you know, from Premier League champions three, four years ago to... Skybet Championship. Where did it all go wrong for the Foxes? Here's five reasons why. Yeah, here's five. You won't reasons believe him, but three. <laughs> um, right. Well, I think that is a season review. Actually, who's, who's been your favourite host of this podcast this season? Well, just well, just I'm voting for myself. So, <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I think Rory's been the best. But um, if anyone else wants to vote for me, feel free to get on Twitter and get that out there. Right. Okay. So until next season. Um, go. By the way, give us a five star review as always. If you if you if you haven't enjoyed it, go back to the beach. Go for your fourth pint. Yeah. Whatever. Have leave your it. third beer, fifty two can. Put your yeah. Put your phone down. Step away from your computer. But until next season, keep the faith. We'll see you then. This is Acast recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're gonna love. April 5th, 1918, the occurrence of influenza of severe type was reported in Kansas. This flu will become the most deadly pandemic in modern history. How did the influenza of 1918 spread so far, so fast? And does it tell us anything about this next big outbreak? I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.